This evening, uh, we have our displaced missionaries coming to uh, share with us this evening. Were you guys in Australia? Was it over 25? That was longer than that. And it's a shame because you know, every morning when they had breakfast, that's what they saw out their window. <laughs> that's a lie. I have no idea what they saw out their window, but I don't think it was that. Uh, but anyway, uh, it is great to have them here and, and uh, kind of give us an update uh, on the things that were going on in Australia and what's going on in their lives now and what the future holds for them. So uh, please come and uh, tell us your stuff. <laughs> Yeah. 
like, if you remember last time I was here, I was waving around a stick and I called it a baton and we talked about hacking the baton because Marty and I knew that we were, uh, we <laughs> always kind of suspected that the handwriting was on the wall. We knew we weren't going to be able to retire in Australia and fight other students and children and grandchildren there. Uh, but we wanted to try and hand off our, our role to the next generation of leaders so that the, the gospel would keep going ahead in Australia. Um, now, at the time we were here, we thought we might have four to eight more years to do that. Um, uh, between God and the Australian government, they decided that two and a half years was enough. Uh, they, they invited us to, to go back home. Um, it was, but we had, we had kind of sensed that that was a, a possibility. And, and so we, we worked very hard to, to move on. The, the college, the Bible college that we taught at for most of the last uh, eight or ten years, the Adelaide College of Ministries, was actually in the process of winding down. That's why Marty and I were both invited to go over and help at the Bible College of South Australia to, for, to, to assist with the student transition to the new school. And, and that was the graduating class from our old college uh, at the new college. Uh, and I think there would have been roles for both of us at the new college had we been able to say, uh, which we weren't. Uh, so we, we transitioned out. And it was interesting because we, um, when, when our visa situation was uncertain, the visa of the Bible College was uncertain, I wrote a letter to our, our home office and I said, there's a lot of uncertainty facing us. Um, do you have any suggestions? And um, my, my worst nightmare when I wrote that letter was, well, they're going to write back and say, you aren't an old bunch, you just retire. Um, and and oof, I hope that didn't come back. And the good news is that's not what they said. Uh, they actually said, in fact, um, my, my letter made its way to the, to the International Director of the Mission and said, I've got something I want to talk to you about. So uh, the, the good news is, though we had to leave Australia, our mission said, we've got some stuff we want to be involved with. Um, and so uh, within a, a few months, I was given a title that had the word global in it. And yesterday, I was given another title that had the word international in it. So uh, from this point on, uh, that it's okay if we live in the States, but my responsibilities are going to be kind of global. Uh, we, the team has uh, roughly 600 missionaries in, in 40 to 45 different areas of the world, and I get the privilege of working with all of those people uh, to see that they're cared for, that they're trained properly, that they're oriented to the ministries, uh, and that they're effective in their ministries and their strategies. So it's, it's a tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous opportunity. It's a scary. Uh, and we're really glad that God's given us that opportunity. The, the mission has also uh, given Marty a full-time role uh, that involves uh, global responsibility as well. And I'll let her tell you about that in a minute. But uh, I want you to, to be assured about two things. One, well, has anybody noticed that things are changing a little bit in our world? That things aren't quite like they used to be? Have you noticed that? Um, well, there's one thing that, there, there's several things that don't change. One is the mission of God. If, if I were to ask you in, in one sentence, why do you think the mission of God is, what would you say and where would you find it? Yeah, most of the time we start in Matthew 28, go into the world like disciples. And that's a good thing, we'll talk about that in a minute. But you know where the mission of God really starts? Guess where the best place for it to start would be? Maybe Genesis? When God created Adam and Eve, you know what he said? He said, 
And he said, you're created in my image. And then he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the mission of God from Genesis 1 is to fill up the earth with his image. And that's our job. Uh, that, and, and that hasn't changed throughout the rest of the book. That hasn't changed. Uh, the next thing he said, uh, sadly, at, at that point, what it required to, to fulfill God's mission was biological. <laughs> Make more people. And, and because we're in, the, in, in God's image, Adam and Eve were perfect. But what happened in Genesis chapter 3? They made a mess, right? They blew it. Uh, the, the, interestingly enough, you know what the statement was that, uh, that the serpent used that kind of pushed Eve over the edge? He said, he's, he's carrying on this dialogue with God. He didn't really take this thing. He gave him food. And he added, you're not supposed to do it. Hey, he knows if you eat it, you will be like God. She, you know what? She took it too. And, and we, we've been doing that ever since. You know what the, the, the biggest difference between Eve and God was? God could do anything he wanted. And God had basically given Adam and Eve to do anything he wanted except one thing. So the, the only difference between Adam and Eve and God was that they couldn't eat the fruit. And God could do anything, and they couldn't do it. They could do anything but one. And uh, we've been doing that ever since. Anything, any, any limitation that anybody or anything tries to put on us, we, we, we rebel against it. And, and that's what happened in the rest of the book. So the message became the mission is fill up the world with God's image. The message is keep doing that, but ever since Genesis 3, redemption had to be a part of that. We've messed it up. So if we're going to fully reflect and demonstrate God's image accurately, redemption has to be in there. Something has to change the way we are. Now, in, in Team, Team is now about 127 years old, and uh, the message, the mission hasn't changed. And, in, and the message hasn't changed, but the method has. And, and the, the way God wants to make that happen is to make disciples, and team has been trying to do that everywhere. But things in our world are changing. And so the way things happened before don't work very well now in some respects. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that uh, a little bit more about that in just a minute. But I want to show you one more clip. Uh, this is just an example of what team is doing all over the world. And, and Marty and I both have an opportunity to have input into that process everywhere. So this is what, just a, a quick shot of what's going on in the world.
in that organization that Marty and I have the privilege of working with, um, some of the things that are changing, there, there, there's several big challenges uh, that we face. Um, one of the big challenges is people. Uh, if you notice, I don't know how if you keep up with statistics, but sadly, the number of people who are actively engaged in, in Christian worship in, in the U.S. is declining. Um, it's, it's actually, maybe it's holding its own, but if it's holding its own, it's largely from immigrants coming to America. The churches are not nearly as strong or as active as they have been. Money is a problem. The, the churches are not as generous as they might have been in the past. Uh, other challenges that missionaries face are visas. Uh, the places that I, I know about I know about visas. I got kicked out of two countries, so uh, visas are a challenge. And and uh, Marty and I are not the only ones that are having that problem. Um, and uh, so how do how do we go about reaching the, the world when when these are, are the big challenges we face? Now, Team has for for its history has primarily focused on sending career people to work overseas. In, in cross-cultural ministry, making disciples and planting churches. And we're going to keep doing that as long as that's possible. But there are too many places that we can't do that, and we can't do that quickly enough to reach this world. So uh, one of my primary responsibilities now with the mission is to try and make sure we keep doing that as well as we can, as long as we can. But we're also going to be looking at some new things in team uh, that are a little bit different for some of the things we've done. Uh, because the opportunity is there, and we need to take advantage of it. So I'm going to give you three examples of some things that are happening now in team that weren't happening just a few years ago. Uh, one, one really exciting thing is that um, uh, as, as happens, missionaries get older and tired. And uh, team was, was, at one point, team was losing about 50 missionaries per year to retirement. And uh, six years ago, we sent out 22 new missionaries. Now, when 50 retire and 22 new ones go out, guess which way you're headed? It's not good. So, so we team began to, to look at the ways we were doing things and, and try some things differently and make some changes. And this year, guess how many we're going to send out? We're going to send out over 100. Um, the, we've, we've got some, some visionary leaders in team, and, and, and they're, they're making some changes that are causing that to happen. So we're going to keep sending out long-term career missionaries as long as we can. But there are other things we're going to need to do to, to keep the thing going. And one of the one of the things team is just starting that we hadn't ever done before, we've resisted it, is that we're actually assigning missionaries to ministry in North America. And, and we resisted that for a long time because uh, the, the theory was, well, the churches can do that. We're not, we don't want to compete with the churches in North America. We'll send our people overseas. That's what we're here for. Uh, but now the team has roughly 20 people in North America, U.S. and Canada, Ministry, but every one of those persons has had experience overseas. And what's happened is mainly they can't go back to the countries where they were at, where they're familiar with the language and the culture and with seeing fruit. They can't go back because they want, can't get a visa to go there. But there are people from that people group in, the, in North America that need the gospel. And so they're not only working with those people, um, they're showing churches how to reach out to those people. They're helping the churches cross the language and the cultural barriers to reach out to the people in their neighborhood that are not quite like them. So we're, we're starting to recognize that when missionaries can't get visas to go back, when security issues mean that they can't, it's not even safe for them to go back even if they could, when uh, 
their own health issues or, or family situations to keep them from going back to the countries where they had been ministering, we can, they, can, they can have fruitful and effective ministries in North America. We're having uh, ministry to uh, Gulf Arabs in Ohio. We're having ministry to Pakistanis in, uh, uh, in Canada. Uh, we're having opportunities like that. We're planting a, a, a Hispanic church in Charlotte. So there, those are some opportunities where uh, we're taking advantage of things. In fact, it's, it's kind of the backwards, the, the reverse of the book of Acts. When, when God wanted the gospel to go out from, uh, from Jerusalem and from, from the promised land, the Holy Land, in the book of Acts, what happened? Persecution caused the Christians to scatter. You know what's happening now? Persecution in some of the countries that are hardest to get missionaries into is forcing those people to leave, and they're going to places where we have ready access to them. Another area the team is seeing uh, some tremendous opportunities is in the, in the area of what, what mission agencies are calling the European diaspora, because people from North Africa, the Middle East, uh, and even Central Asia are migrating literally in the millions into Europe. And Europe is a place that we can still get people. We have a lady in our organization who spent 14 years in Afghanistan going, coming and going because the security issues meant that she had to evacuate every couple of years just because it wasn't safe to stay there. She is now working in Greece, and the first that there are Afghan refugee camps in Greece, and she has shared the gospel with more Afghans within the first six months she's in Greece than she shared the gospel with in 14 years in Afghanistan. So team is, team is working with other agencies to reach people who are displaced. And, and if statistically, people who have been displaced uh, socially, economically, uh, culturally, tend to be much more open to the gospel. So in many of these, both, uh, both among immigrants and refugees, which are two different categories of people who have been displaced, both, in both of those places, uh, there is a receptivity to the gospel that just isn't there when they're in their own countries. And so we're, we're mobilizing people and we're uh, working in partnership with other groups to reach those people in, in Europe as well as Asia. Because they're, they're, you, you can get kicked out or killed in Afghanistan for sharing the gospel. In Greece, you can share the gospel with any Afghan you can find and nobody cares. Except for Lord, he's pretty happy about that. Um, so that, that's some of the opportunities the team has. Uh, another thing is there are uh, somewhere uh, in the neighborhood of 4 million uh, Westerners that are on uh, employment contracts in, in countries other than their home countries. And many of those are really dynamic, missional, solid Christians who want to go and share the gospel. One of the men in, in the senior leadership at team, he, he's also named Greg, but his last name is Cal and not William. He's currently living in Toronto, and his wife is an a, a information technology specialist in education. She is a consultant for the Toronto school system, teaching them how to use technology in their educational processes. Uh, she is certified by both Microsoft and Google to teach them whatever they can learn about that. And she has just recently been recruited by a private school in Beijing, China. Uh, uh, Ray and his wife Sandra are both um, Chinese descent, uh, Hong Kong, which is Cantonese instead of Mandarin, which is Beijing, but uh, they're, they're, they're Chinese and they, they have a real heart for ministry in China, uh, but it's challenging to get a visa there. This is a private school, it's not a Christian school, and it's not run by foreigners, it's run by Chinese people, and they have recruited her to come and teach the use of information technology in their educational processes. 
They're going to provide a visa for her. No visa problem. They're going to pay her a salary, help with the support. And on top of that, um, they're, they're going through the interview process. And, and they talk to, and, and Ray and Sam have made it very clear from the beginning. We're Christians, and, and that's going to be a big part of what we're, what we're interested in. And so there, there's no question that they're going to be subversive because the school administration knows from the beginning that they're, that they're Christians and they're serious about it. So the, Christian, the, the administration says this, well, you know, a, a number of our students uh, uh, say they're Christians and we want to provide the support that they would need uh, during the educational process. Would you be willing to help them? <laughs> well, you had to think about that one a long time. Uh, so what, what we're actually in the process of doing now is there are um, plenty of job opportunities like that. And so we're, we're working to to recruit and to, to place uh, professional people overseas and connect them with our existing long-term ministries as well, to, to be able to, to place them in situations that a traditional missionary might not be able to get into. But we want to, to train them to do cross-cultural ministry, support them in that, and connect them anywhere we can with existing long-term ministries that we're involved in. So those are just some of, those are just three examples of the kind of things that Team is doing to, to compensate for some of the, the negative uh, trends that are happening in our world today that, that make it harder to share the gospel. Um, so that, that's my, my role is I get to help with that. Uh, it's, it's an exciting opportunity for us to have. And uh, uh, it, it's going to involve uh, a bit more travel than, than I'm used to. I, I, I'm, you, you know, my favorite place to go, my favorite place to go is home. Uh, and so I get to do that occasionally now, but it's 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 too good an opportunity not to, to take advantage of. And Marty has just been given a role that I'll let her come and talk to you about. Uh, so uh, we'll be, for, for, for Marty's sake, we'll get to travel together, which is, which is good for both of us. So. He told me to come up here. So I'm being a very submissive, obedient wife. I'm up here. <laughs> um, as, as you know, this is mainly for the microphone. Um, as you know, um, we've had to leave Australia. And when um, it was coming up to um, getting iffy about whether we were going to be able to stay, Ray contacted the office. And they, they gave him a role, which he started about a year ago, just over a year ago. And they said to him, we want you to stay there in Australia because Marty's got an opportunity for ministry there. We don't want to pull her out just because we need you. And so you can do your job from anywhere in the world. So um, I was up to my ears in taking care of, of, of developing a women's ministry at um, a local Baptist church and um, also teaching. I had developed and, and was teaching the women's ministry stream at a Bible college. And then as Ray told you, the Bible college wound down and closed and so then the other Bible college who took over our students encouraged us to come. They actually recruited us to come and help the students transition to a new subculture, a new community, a new Bible college. And so we were just familiar faces that they could come in to our office and shut the door and go, ah! and then, okay, I'm good now. I can go out and face it again. And because it was, a, it was a big change. It was a disappointment for them to let go of their Bible college and have to graduate from another one. And that was the picture that we showed you. They're precious, precious kids. 
Uh, unfortunately, we were invited to leave before they graduated, so we weren't able to be at their graduation, but at least we helped them through the first semester. Ray was able to actually step in and teach a class at the Bible College um, that they had the course, but they didn't have anybody to teach it. Um, they gave me the role of the Associate Dean of Women uh, so that I could reach out to the, all the women in the Bible College, and so that, that was an opportunity. Um, and as, you know, in the time that I was there, I had both women, women from both of the Bible Colleges to, to seek me out, and um, then they started saying, Marty, when are you going to teach your classes here? So I started talking to the administration about an opportunity to try and share my classes, which then the government kind of intervened a little bit, um, and I wasn't able to, to teach all of them, but they said, oh, can you teach us anything? So I took the light, we had 28 days to pack and leave the country, and I, I took time out of those 28 days to teach 12 of a 21 lecture class. And um, they were faithful and showed up um, and so I was able to get a little bit of my material to some of those students that hadn't been at our other Bible college. Um, so, but when, when our visa was denied and when the appeal wasn't successful, then um, things took a significant change of direction, obviously. Ray just kind of had the opportunity to carry on what he was doing. He just couldn't preach as often and he didn't um, get to teach his classes. Um, but my roles, my ministry roles were were finished, they were gone, so things changed completely for me. Um, but as Ray said last time, we were telling you about passing the baton, and I had developed a women's ministry stream and had a women's ministry team, or women's ministry at the church, and had a team developed so that I was actually pulling away from them, and they were actually stepping up and taking the responsibility for, for ministering to the women in the church. And, um, and so, I was actually in a position of being able to, to watch them step up and, and do it. So it I'd passed the baton pretty much. I just had a little extra shove. Um, the church had also asked me to take over leadership of the life groups and, and just, you know, and that when we had some good momentum going there. So I was able to hand that, hand that over to a, a couple that had been, that were veterans in ministry and, and they took it and went with it. So there was momentum going and it was, it was good. But probably the role that was hardest for me to let go of was um, my Wednesday Nana Day because I guarded my Wednesday Nana Day. We have one daughter that has married an Australian and become an Australian citizen, and she has our two grandchildren, four and two, as you saw in the picture. And um, I had four years of warming my way into their hearts so that when they talked to me on Facebook, I mean FaceTime, um, I'm not just a face on a screen, but they remember Nana and they remember Bop Up. And um, so that was an absolute privilege because not many missionaries that are overseas have their kids living in the same town. So that was a privilege for me. The flip side of that is when your visa's denied, you leave your grandchildren there and you go. Um, and, but they'll be coming over for our youngest daughter's wedding in August, so I'll get to see them in a few months. And then we'll... Uh, Ray has already decided that Adelaide is a hub, and in all our travels, wherever we go, we have to go through Adelaide. So I, I don't know if he's. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the mission's going to see it quite like that, but we'll we'll see what we can do. But I, I we can go back, even though we're we're invited to leave, we can still go back. We can go in on a tourist visa, so we're not banned from the country. We just got old, and they didn't want us to retire there. 
So, so that was one of the things. So leaving, leaving Australia meant I gave up my Nana day, but that's okay. Came back to the States, not really sure what I was going to be doing, but was very grateful for some time to just rest, recuperate, rejuvenate, do some time praying and just asking the Lord what he had for me. But then teams started talking to me. They had a role for me. And yet, as you figured out, I have a real passion for seeing women discover, develop, and exercise their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ in an appropriate manner. And team has heard me, and they know that that's my passion. And so they've asked me to take on a role that is... Um, took a long time to come up with a title, and so, I'll, you know, it's just kind of a strange one. But I think the Director of Diversity and Women's Initiatives. And the, what they're wanting me to do is they're asking me to help them raise the profile of women and minorities in the leadership of team. Because up until now, we've been very um, white and very male and um, it's not that we want women to step up and demand women's rights, but women have, have a different perspective and they have gifting to offer the body of Christ. And so they want me to um, find women, train them. See, leadership doesn't just happen. We may have leadership tendencies or propensities, but leadership needs to be, those skills need to be honed, they need to be trained, they need to be developed. Um, those that have those tendencies need to be able to, to learn the skills of being a leader, to, to try something, to fail, to learn to pick themselves up, learn from the mistake they've made, be mentored, be trained, and to be developed. So that's what they want me to be doing because women have often been overlooked, as well as minorities in team have been overlooked in being able to, um, to receive that training and that development. And our, their default has been, okay, we have a role. What man have we got to fill this role? Without thinking, oh, wait a minute, we have a role to fill. What person in our field or group or whatever has the gifting that could, in an appropriate manner, fill this role? And so they've asked me if I would, um, they want me to help them diversify their both gender and, and uh and multicultural aspects. So that's that's kind of what my role is. Um, it, it's it's the people that I call the invisibles, because they're people that the mission, with no malice intended, just have overlooked, um, and and just haven't seen the fact that there is an opportunity. So I'm going to be sourcing women. Older women, younger women, all women, and then training up some of them. You really don't have to convince millennials that they have something to offer. <laughs> you notice? You don't have to convince them. Um, but, but some of the older women, you, you kind of have to convince them that, yeah, you know what? God has gifted you as well. The spiritual gifts are not gender-based. They're gender-neutral. And God has gifted you, so let's see you discover your gift and, and develop it and build up the body of Christ so that it can be uh, stronger and more effective in reaching the world for God. Um, but uh, so a challenging role, a p aspect of this role for me is convincing some of the women and some of the minorities that they actually do have gifting that God wants to use and that they can step up and they can fulfill that role. 
Um, another aspect that's going to be a challenge for me is to get the leadership to actually see the people that I call invisibles. And uh, when I first shared, what, the first time I shared about what my role was going to be to a group of men, the men all came up to me afterwards, oh, I'm so excited about what you're doing, you need to meet my wife. And I said, yes, I do need to meet your wife, and I need to talk to you too. Because it's the men who need to empower women. Um, and it's the men who are in leadership and need to be able to see that women have something to offer. And it's not, I am woman, hear me roar, okay? It's not a rogue feminist that's trying to take over. It's just, I love the Lord, and God has gifted me in this way. How can you use me? But women are hesitant to step up, and to do, at least my generation are hesitant to do that. I'm not sure the millennials are, are hesitant to do that. So those are some of my... Uh, my challenges is to speak to the leadership and those that are I need to, to raise up. I need to find training programs. I can't train them all myself. Um, so I've got to try tra find training programs that I can plug people into and get them, get them um, trained up and, and mentored and um, enabled and empowered to, to serve. Um, there's going to be those that will see this as a challenge. This is not the way we've always done it. We have that in every church, okay? There's going to be a challenge that says, so where does this fit with Scripture? And we're going to make sure we stay within the bounds of Scripture. To some, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be encouraging. And to some, it's going to be daunting and intimidating. So I've got a lot of um, challenges to face. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't do New Year's resolutions. Um, I do something different, and some of you may already do this. You may know about it, but I, I ask the Lord for one word every year. I ask him to give me one word. And my word for this year, when I had a day of prayer and vision, the word God gave me this year was a word challenge. And the, one of the verses he gave with me, if you'll forgive me for personalizing like this, was Revelation 3.8, and it says, I know your works. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And he just said, I want you to do this. This is a challenge I'm giving to you. But this concept of a challenge, that door swings both ways because I'm being challenged to fulfill this role, but he's also asking me to challenge others to step out of their comfort zone, to be willing to step up and to be raised and developed and trained in leadership, um, both women and multicultural people, into leadership. So um, I'm, I'm being challenged to step into a new role, but I'm, I'm going to have the opportunity to challenge others to be a part of that, both men and women, for men to help the women step up to encourage. One of the, op one of the reasons that I have had the opportunities to be in ministry and develop in ministry as much as I have is directly related to that man sitting down there because he has empowered me. He has enabled me. He's seen my gifting and he's helped me to become who God wanted me to be. Now, I haven't reached there. I'm still working on it. But he's been a part of saying, yes, you can do this. Let me keep the kids for you so you can go do that. Um, which sometimes he does so well he makes me look bad. So, But and that's, a, that's a different thing altogether. But he has empowered me and enabled me to be able to do that. So I would truly, truly covet your prayers 
for wisdom, for discernment, for insight, for courage, um, and, and just for creativity and being able to, to develop this role because the, the, the CEO of Teen basically said, so this is what I want you to do, Marty, go develop the role. So I, you know, it's kind of what I want to do. And um, I kind of go, Lord, I don't know what that looks like. And it's like one little bit by little bit, it's developing. And I'm, I'm already encouraged with how he's leading me step by step. So I hope that's clear as to what you think I'm going to be. It's about as clear as I know about what I'm doing. So. Did I turn myself back on? Okay. Um, we, we tried to make sure that we got to the end of our canned speeches. Uh, and time to give you a little bit of an opportunity to ask questions. Um, if you want to ask what we left behind in Australia, what's happening there, or what uh, some of the things that we're moving into might be, um, ready, steady, go. Yes? Yeah. Well, it's. Um, yeah. Re really, we got old. Yeah, yeah. we got old. There. Yeah, Australia is a very attractive place to immigrate to. And so they're trying to have a one-size-fits-all approach to granting visas. 30 or 40 years ago, if an American showed up and said, I want to live here, they said, fine, you live here as long as you want. Uh, now, everybody who wants to move there has to go through the same process. Uh, whether you're American, British, or Indian, or, or Chinese, it's the same. And so the, they keep raising the bar because more and more people are trying to get in. And as we got older, they have a very generous social welfare system. And they were just afraid that we were going to try and find some loophole to let us retire there, and we would cost them money. That, that was the basic bottom line. We, we, we appealed. The, the, the initial decision to deny the visa, was we appealed it. And when we went in for the hearing about our appeal, uh, the, the, the adjudicator made it very clear that that's what he thought we were doing and that it was pretty unlikely that we were going to get anything that was resembled a favorable response. So what he actually asked was, do you have a house in America? And we said, no. He says, but you have grandchildren here. And that made it clear that he thought that we were trying to work the system. And so, so. out of integrity, we felt we needed to come home. So. Other questions? J just for uh, an interesting thing, the... Um, uh, in, in 1900, somewhere between 95 and 98 percent of the people who, who uh, uh, acknowledged their, themselves, who identified themselves as Christians, lived in Europe and North America. Uh, sometime between 2005 and 2007, we reached a tipping point, and at that point, more people who said they were Christians lived outside of Europe and North America than inside. So now, over half the Christians in the world don't live where the Christians used to live. So that, that's why we're trying to change some things. Bob. Uh, one of the photos, they had the phrase global hub. Is that yes. No, what, what we're trying to do is, um, up until this point in team's history, uh, virtually all of our people and resources, finances, everything, came from North America. What we're trying to do is develop um, hubs in different regions of the world that not only coordinate our ministries and the ministry of organizations similar to ours, but that also uh, recruit people and, and source resources, find resources, so that these hubs become uh, functioning places not just to receive help, but to send out missionaries and funds from there. So that we're trying to establish those.
So that would be providing member care or health care or um, training. That's what, yeah. Yep. So people wouldn't yep. have to come. Because up until now, we've been Wheaton, Illinois. Okay, now we're decentralized through the whole country, actually, and not so much just Wheaton, uh -huh. but now we're actually okay. being more global. Okay, Dawn, and then? I just wondered how you support Raleigh Rising and how that's going. Well, we, we're still considered missionaries on support. Uh, we were getting help from um, the college and the church that Marty was working with in, in Australia, and that's not coming anymore. So we're, we're still on support. We're surviving, but... Like most missionaries, we, we could use some help. Okay. No, we were the only team we people teams. there. Yeah. So <laughs> there, yeah. there is, interestingly enough, in, in terms of developing what we call global hubs, one of our senior leaders in team is an Australian who is technically a missionary with OM, but OM has given him to us to use and he has a senior leadership role in the Asia Pacific region uh, but he, he is kind of the team representative there right now but the work the work that we handed over at the Bible College and at the church went to national yeah. other questions Well, then I'm going to pray and sit down. We'll hang around as long as anybody wants to talk to us. If you don't want to talk to us, we'll go quietly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but thank you for your support yeah, and for your faithful prayers. It it's, it's really blesses our heart when we come and you know who we are and you know who our kids are and you know what we've been doing. That just blesses our heart. So thank you very much because that does mean you've been praying and we thank you for that. And I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. Um, when we first went to the mission field, we, we went to uh, Zimbabwe, Africa in 1984. Uh, Ferguson Avenue Baptist Church was the first church that took on our regular monthly support. Our home church was going to had already committed to support us, but they didn't start until we got on the airplane to leave. Ferguson Avenue said, you need more money than that. We're going to start now. So Ferguson Avenue was the first church that started supporting us in 19, uh, sometime in 1983 is when you started supporting us. And as far as I know, you haven't missed a month yet. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for including us in something so amazing as your mission in this world. And so we ask that you'd help us to be faithful uh, and we rely on the power of your spirit to enable us to fulfill that. Thank you for the partnership that we have for the gospel. And we pray in Jesus' name.